You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the JCN Clinic podcast show. Today we are joined by Stephen Eddy or Steve as you'll hear us referring to him from ATP Science. Uh, You may be familiar, very familiar with ATP Science. They host the really popular The ATP Project podcast. You may have also heard Carissa on there or myself a few years back. So we love these guys, we love what they do and Steve is fabulous, a wealth of knowledge and a good laugh which fits perfectly with us. So a little on Steve, Uh, Steve began his journey into the health space first by studying chemistry and physics to work as a chemist which you'll hear him talk a bit about in the intro. This was way too boring for Steve, so he went on to pursue further studies in the natural health space where he could dive deep into health science. Steve has a Diploma of Applied Science, Naturopathy and a Bachelor of Health Science and a Master of Health Science. Quite the mix and you'll really get a good sense of that as you hear Steve talk as far as his mix of naturopathy and science. Steve was the owner of Health Schools Australia, which offered courses in nutrition, herbal medicine, remedial massage and wellness. And Steve has also worked for companies like Metagenics as an R&D manager. And yes, he now works with ATP Science as a key person in the education and research team. So we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did and we will see you on the flip side. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. I'm Carissa. And I'm Steve. And hey! <laughs> Is that what I'm supposed to do? I don't know. We didn't rehearse this. There's no rules, Steve. Yeah, There's good. There's no rules at all. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll take my shoes <laughs> off and play around. Yeah, good. Okay. You can have a beer so if you wanted one. We wouldn't care. Another Steve one. today or... <laughs> Officially, oh, your uh, full name, Stephen Eddy, yep. naturopath from yep. ATP Science. We're pretty stoked, hey, Steve, to have you with us today. Oh, it's great to see you guys um, again. You know, I love you guys. It's a, you know, I love what you do. I was reading you online before about all, all your clinic there in Brisbane. It, it's it's amazing, and I love how you 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 really look after. Especially, Jess was talking about uh, doing the, the the digestive system, and your big focus is on that. Yeah, it is. It's it's the core of everything to us mm. and we all have our sort of passion areas that tend to pivot off the gut um, and we'll see that today with what we're talking about individually with these case studies. But yeah, that, that gut core is just everything that we've realistically built JCN on um, and we're all so deeply passionate about. But um, we wanted to have you join us today to bring our three heads together and actually discuss, as I just mentioned, some case studies because throughout the podcast over the years, we've delved into so many different topics and areas, but we know that the audience loves a good case study, just Mm. that realistic uh, 
relationship to a presentation or someone else's health situation and us being able to talk that through, present all of their symptoms and then I just think it'll be great to have our three heads together to talk about. Sounds like some sort of <laughs> monster, doesn't it? Oh, ah, yes. It's a bit together. like that, yeah, the three heads together. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it'd be really, really great to talk about uh, different sort of treatment options and I'm just really fascinated because obviously I've got my way of thinking about some of these cases but I'm more curious to hear what you both have to say as we dive in but mm. before we do Steve yeah do you want to just give our listeners a little bit of background or a little bit on you all right well I'm not going to tell you what I told you off camera but I'll tell you <laughs> the official line which is <laughs> Carissa we've lost her she's just laughing if she starts crying on camera that'll be embarrassing um but um <laughs> No, no, wait. Don't drink either. You'll spray it everywhere. It'll be like a... Okay, no. My, my, my life started very unexcitedly in the in the 80s when I graduated high school and became a, a chemist, a physicist and chemist. So scientists the started my life developing detergents all that for about four years. So that was boring. So I moved to Queensland, became a muso. Um, but at the same time, I studied naturopathy and did three-year diploma in naturopathy. Back then, that's all they were. Um, so then I worked for Metagenics for five years, R&D manager there, and toured around teaching, which which was great. You know, in the, in the 90s where the, the new sort of studies, were, you could access them online and the internet was becoming more accessible. So so this was a really great learning curve for me because I was told to travel to Cairns and give a talk on something that I may or may not know about. And I had to, you know, it was a six-hour talk. So you had to know your stuff. So, you know, imagine teaching your peers uh, and you have to know all the details about it. So it was a great learning curve. And so every three times a year, you'd have to do this new topic and and you, you eventually built up your knowledge over five years. So that was a great learning curve for me. And during that time, I got a, a, a Bachelor of Health Science and a Master of Health Science. Um, so um, And then after that, I was Vice President of a college. And then I ended up running the college, becoming Principal Owning Health Schools Australia. Um, we taught naturopathy and all that. So again, you had to know the ins and outs of things. And then after that, I've, I've been here for five years and it's great. The learning curve always continues daily. So that's my history. Wow. That's fa- oh, this is, I didn't know um, particularly about the metagenics involvement. Oh. And, yeah, obviously we knew a little bit about the muso stuff from previous conversation. Oh. But, yeah. yeah, there's so, so much there and particularly, as you say, I, c- I can imagine that, um, sort of good pressure to stay up with current knowledge, like being in that place of um, presenting a lot to other peers or, yep. or students along the way. Yep. It's like saying to one of you ladies, okay, you've got to go and give a talk to, well, Sydney, we, we give like a, a, back in those days before Zoom and all this, it was just face-to-face. So there was 200 practitioners turning up. You had to get CPD points. I was also vice president of the ATMS too. I'm sure I didn't forget that, but 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 I was just like you know you had to learn the stuff ins and outs and give a talk for six hours or eight hours. It was so different to this podcast, you know. Like like today, you know, we we did two podcasts this morning and we recorded them, and one was largely had to draw on my physics physics qualification because we're talking about dark matter and string theory and all this sort of physics stuff. Uh, so that comes into it still to this very day. So yeah, very interesting history. Yeah, wow. 
Well, I'll, again, I'll be interested to see what comes out today as we go through these cases. Yeah. I feel like I know Chris's way of thinking to a point, but yep. yours will be fascinating. Well, you guys have worked <laughs> yeah. together for eight so, years now. Since 2015, you guys started working together, didn't you? Yep. We sure did. I know it's it's interesting, I think, how much we do know each other's train of thought. <laughs> it's a little bit freaky. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Still I, different, though. <laughs> I want to hear what you guys have to say, too. I mean, these cases you send are incredibly, um, you know, like it reminds me of when I was in practice and you get these cases and there's a million things wrong and you have to sort of yep. go through, oh, yeah, it's like when I read this, because oh, I remember this sort of stuff. It's You guys do a, a miraculous job in practice. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. Thank you. No, it's tough stuff. Thanks. Well, I think these cases will be good because they do show the type of clients that we do attract at the clinic. I mean, there's a there's a, obviously like anything, a, a wide array, mm-hmm. but these are really um, meaty clients in regard to how much is going on. Um, and I think the good thing with these two is we've got some test results that mm. um, we can discuss as well, which is something we do a, a fair whack of functional testing at the clinic. So we'll get we'll get into Carissa's client first. Okay. And is she can kind of hold herself together. We're gonna um, try. Do you want to talk us through, Rissy, your uh, client? Obviously we're not using any names today no. for our clients. We've both checked with our clients though if they're okay with us talking about about their cases so we've got the green light good (laughs) but yeah do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on your client sure yeah so I went with a um, hormone and gut case I knew Jess would go specifically gut so I thought I'd do something different Mm -hmm. Um, I was just like I know we're both gonna go opposing ways so the reason I've gone with my client too is I've got a lot of cases like this at the moment and I think I want to talk about because I'm so excited to pull it apart with you guys in the preventative health space Mm. because I think my clients are 42-year-old perimenopause female. Um, Her main concern is that she thinks she has issues with estrogen or suspects that she's estrogen-driven, in air quotes, Um, and she's in the last five years had um, a um, breast cancer risk hit hard in the family with her mum and her auntie being diagnosed. So she wants to be able to future-proof herself. She's pretty health-conscious as it is. She's done a little bit of work already, but and I'll go through her case, but I think the reason I want to talk about it is because I'm seeing a lot of this at the moment in the um, in the reproductive space and the, you know, cancer prevention space for females and not just within breast cancer where we're, I'm working a lot with people that have got ovarian cancer risk as well um, and just the testing that is available beyond mainstream and the testing that we can do in a preventative space I think is something that really we should be talking about because women aren't getting diagnosed with breast cancer over the age of 55 anymore it's really starting to creep into the perimenopause years very strongly and it's also creeping into like the late 30s quite strongly I also am seeing a really big trend in a lot of my clients and in the health space that I probably am very focused in with um hysterectomies partial and full being recommended really heavy-handedly as a you know um you know and I know that's always been a thing but women in their 30 like late 30s and early 40s now are just being recommended hysterectomies partial or full hysterectomies as a cure for cancer cancer prevention or risk despite cancer markers in pathology sometimes so I think it's a space that I want to unpack in general but I'm this is a classic case that I'm seeing Mm. a lot of so so for my client she's come in 
she's 42 she has no children um she has been relatively healthy most of her life she's got no you know no massive health risks that um you know we would consider you know sickness is dealing with specialists and all of that so no autoimmune or anything like that um her her health history is she just comes from a standard australian diet family so like meat and three veggies definitely things looking back um even though her parents thought things were quite healthy and were just doing their best at the time that what we know now she probably was eating a lot more white carbs and refined sugar than she needed to be um, her period started at the age of 14. Um, she really doesn't doesn't remember having any concerns with that. Um, she went on the OCP um, late teens purely for contraception and then just came off it in her 20s, not for any concern other than the fact that she just started to do a bit of her own research and realised it wasn't healthy for her. She's always had a pretty good um, exercise routine. A um, little bit of anxiety and depression in her in her early 20s but she does note that she was drinking and partying in those years and she was also a smoker so she said her diet probably wasn't the best and she feels like her mental health was probably more circumstantial rather than anything to be more concerned about um mid-20s got her shit together finished her degree met a long-term partner bought a house settled down they both decided they didn't want kids so they've just been living their life as that she definitely says that day-to-day life is pretty good and she doesn't have a lot of big concerns that she wants sorted out with me directly but she knows that she has this big health risk with um you know breast cancer um and she wants to sort of I guess future proof herself against that so the important thing probably to note with her is that in her mid-30s um she did have some epic stress when her mum and aunt were both diagnosed I think they were diagnosed within I think 12 months of each other with aggress- both aggressive types of estrogen based cancer she doesn't know the exact ones because I know there's different types but they were both estrogen they're both BRCA1 negative oh. um so yeah so if anyone's going to ask that so I did meet I thought about that afterwards so no BRCA1 genes in and she's going to get the genetic testing as well just to be sure but if her mum and her aunt both don't have it then there's most likely she doesn't have it either um so she had this really intense stressful couple of years in her 30s around the time when her mum and aunt both went through their breast cancer journeys she had a lot of stress happening at work um she's a nurse like no, I've written this through to you guys, but just for mm. everyone listening. So she was a nurse. She was doing shift work at the time as well, but I think she knocked a lot of that on the head. She went and worked with a naturopath up in Cairns. Um, the naturopath sounded really good that she worked with, pretty thorough, um, really focused a lot on diet in terms of just sort get. She was already pretty healthy, eating balanced meals and done a bit of her own research, but removed gluten and dairy mostly cleaned all of that up they did some dutch testing i have got her to find since i emailed you guys um some notes on the dutch testing from the old naturopath 10 or however many years ago it was seven years ago um so what she remembers from doing the dutch testing with the naturopath was that she had the four hydroxy estrogen mm. really high mm. sluggish phase two metabolism um in the dutch test um that's kind of all she remembered when we were chatting about in the console and she knows that the naturopath gave her like just some dim some bees magnesium cleaned up her diet and then my client felt good or her client back then felt good so she kind of backed away from it there was no other testing done um yeah so that was kind of her history she had a bit of a break worked on all of her stress and lifestyle stuff and then obviously in the last couple of years, I thought, well, I'm getting into my perimenopause years. I'm going to re-engage with a nutritionist. So lucky for me, that's me. Love this space. Um, <laughs> re-engage with a nutritionist. And she thought she just wants to now make sure 
for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of her life? Is she doing everything she can possibly in the cancer prevention space? Um, and if she's not, what other things can she be doing? She's knocked off her shift work. She's got a good work-life balance. She's got a great relationship with her partner. Um, she does eat very well. I think I didn't give you guys a, a dietary write-up, but for everyone listening, when I say someone eats well, they are eating well-balanced, nutrient-dense diets. They're um, good, adequate amounts of protein across the day, starchy carbs, a good variety of fruits and vegetables. So I went through her diet with her and honestly, I couldn't really fault it. Like, you know, I could have probably increased her protein here and there, maybe on training days, but in terms of like antioxidant potential and balance and nutrient density, I was really bloody happy with it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what she came to me with. Coffee drinker, um, probably a little bit heavy handed on the coffee, but I can't fault people for that. Um, <laughs> loves having a drink on the weekend, she said. She... <laughs> Every time people are like, I probably drink too much coffee, I'm like, how much? Yeah. <laughs> See if you can shock me. Um, so, <laughs> so she um, definitely loves her coffee. She has like almond, soy, oat latte. She does drink herbal tea, drinks enough water. Um, she loves having, she says sometimes, sorry, she'll have a wine during the week with dinner, but they're not big during the week drinkers. They more just catch up in a social drinkers on the weekends with friends and, you know, just with her partner. Gut function's good. Um, and again, you guys would know, and anyone who's listened to our, part, our podcast know, I would ask all the gut questions. Mm. I sometimes spend 20 minutes asking the gut questions. Um, so really, again, like history of constipation, but now she feels like with the way she eats, her gut is pretty good. Like she has her moments around her period, but other than that, like, yeah, she can't, no bloating, minimal gas, good, healthy bowel motions, full evacuations, um, periods pretty not much to report again um I did go back through our notes over her luteal phase and she definitely does feel a bit more heightened I can't I think I did text that to you guys when I sent the notes through but definitely a bit more anxiousy or low mood in the week leading up to her period um and she's just a little bit heavier than she'd like to be but she did say she could definitely probably rein her weekends in with booze and food and that might sort that out but only if she needs to um so um so that was kind of her in a nutshell so my thoughts for everyone listening for someone who's generally healthy and realistically just wants to know what to improve is well let's do some testing um so we did the humap test mm. which is um a relatively new test on the market so I love Dutch testing. Um, the Dutch testing or well, HUMAP test is kind of exactly very well, same sort of testing mechanisms as a Dutch test. It looks at all of those estrogen metabolites, but it also does neurotransmitter metabolites, which I haven't bloody got yet. Um, but, yeah, so it goes through and looks at all of her, her estrogen, mm -hmm. so um, progesterone, cortisol, and all of that. So that's kind of what we did. So I thought I'd leave it at that and we could brainstorm the test together. I've already seen her for a follow-up and have done a treatment plan, but I'm so keen to hear if there's other thoughts on from you guys. Um, and let's pick her case apart. Hit me. That's great. <laughs> well, Jess, you want to go first? Or? I was actually interested if you, like, seeing these HUMAP results, whether there was, um, like, much of a variation from the Dutch done previously, but it sounds like, yeah. did you say you have got a, those now and been able to run your eyes over them? I'm just curious like, what's changed maybe. 
Yeah, so obviously the commonalities were um, the naturopath had just written her notes in an email and the naturopath isn't right. practising that she could find. So, But the notes in the email that she um, flicked me through on Instagram today were she, obviously the 4-hydroxy, mm. sluggish mm-hmm. phase 2 is what she said to me, so poor comp and methylation activity, which is still obviously very apparent in this test. Her cortisol is completely different. On the Dutch test, her cortisol and cortisone were low across the board. So obviously, but that's obviously when she was going through quite a stress crisis Mm. or, you know, burnout stage thing. But her cortisol is on this test for everyone who can't see it is obviously um, quite high, if not in range in parts. Um, The interesting take home for me is the 80HDG marker. So five years ago when she did her 80HDG in the Dutch and for everyone who... um, isn't 100% familiar with that marker. That is a marker of like oxidative stress or DNA damage that we don't want to see in people who have any sort of pre-cancer or potential cancer or cardiovascular um, dispositions because it obviously means that there's stuff and, um, you know, systems activated in the body that is then preluding that if you don't get that under control, we have the potential for cancer to start cancer and other cardiovascular and you know, diabetes-related conditions to start occurring. So there's, so in her test five years ago, her 80HDG I think was 3.2. So in the space of five to seven years, it's now I think it's almost doubled, hasn't it? It's gone up to like seven, uh, 8.67. So we're, we're, yeah. Although this would be a different, potentially different reference range than the Dutch. No, the reference range is the same. NG per NG. I checked that. I I jumped Ah, on and just looked at. I just pulled up a Dutch test from another client and checked the reference ranges. Um, so the reference ranges, sorry, are slightly different, but the um, unit measurements are exactly the same. Right. Got so, yeah. So in, yeah. So that's my, I guess, my primary concern is that we're now looking at someone who is potentially, I don't like, we're not going to say precancerous, but setting, they're yeah. in a state of vulnerability. Mm. I um, I love this client that, yeah, of course she's looking at preventative health, like she's come to you yeah. with that in mind, like just perfect love it and I think all the changes that she's made like of course like she's already done so much and she obviously feels the benefits but what I love about this is you're obviously number one there's that really thorough case that you've taken and you could almost look at that and go oh yep everything's hunky-dory all, all good Don't sounds worry about good testing but yeah yeah right whereas you've gone okay hearing everything you're saying we've got this genetic predisposition we've got this family history and now through doing this test this functional test we are actually seeing that there is some estrogen detoxification issues which were there previously we've still got those issues happening with that particularly mentioned that four hydroxy um the eight hydroxy oxidative stress marker as you said like we can see that we have these underlying drivers that could could potentially end up causing problems for her health whether that be you know worst case scenario or even just leading into like more of a problematic menopausal experience so I just I love firstly that like it's like that proactivity Mm. of Mm. of the client to start with but then also yeah just just to think sort of further along to get this data um, because not it's it's not always so simple, is it, that there's the um, classic presentations as far as symptoms um, 
and then it's like lining that up with the test. This is that sort of proactive use of a test and seeing what's going on underneath. So I guess that's one of the first things that stands out to me. And it's like, well, mm. actually, this 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 client actually does need some pretty substantial support as far as her estrogen yep. detoxification. Yeah, yep. no, it's incredible. I love the fact, again, that she's, she's, she's looking at prevention. You know, she is 42, which is getting into, you mentioned the perimenopausal stage. So there is a danger, people with high levels of 4-hydroxyestrone, it's contraindicated to prescribe Premarin. Now, Premarin, for those people who don't understand, stands for pregnant men's urine, which is the HRT that most women go on. But it's contraindicated people with 4-hydroxyestrone because you can form adducts and further DNA damage. So that's something to be aware of with her, and hopefully mm. that, that's spaced out. The second thing I noticed here is that with the high 4-hydroxyestrone, it does need to be methylated. And your method, you mentioned catecholomethyltransferase deficiency, so mm. it, it's probably beneficial that she gets, you know, folinic acid or some sort of active folate, B12, uh, B6 in there to get the catecholomethyltransferase things moving. Her, her stress levels, her cortisol levels uh, are a problem too because if you're getting right. high stress, cortisol, for those who are listening, is made from a hormone called progesterone which balances estrogen. So she's probably estrogen dominant here, but it's probably, yep. you know, she needs to preserve her progesterone also there too. And as she uh, ovulates less, she will have less progesterone. She really needs to look after that. You mentioned she's slightly overweight. Is, is that true? Is that fair to say? Or I, just... Yeah, I, I think so. Like we had a bit of a chat about, definitely a chat about that for sure. And I think, I think well, part of my treatment plan is, is 100%. We're going to try and get her to lose about five kilos. She does carry her weight in that, you know, just central Waste. sort of yeah. area yep she exercises well her food is good but i think and part of it is going to be if we can rein the booze in we're actually going to do three months off it yeah. but if we can rein the rein the booze in and the calories in on the weekend and just get her strength training with a focus on protein we can improve even just estrogen promotion by changing her body fat composition yeah, that's so that's obviously yeah, yeah yeah so yeah she like to the to the outside eye she's beautiful she's curvy you know you would never really say she's overweight but with this estrogen presentation 100 percent, i'm like let's just let's knock five kilos off slowly over the next you know six months if we can yeah now if i can take you back to the nobel prize winner of 1930 um uh professor Warburg. yeah you guys were around then yeah no you're not that old i am <laughs> i was around then 1930 but but they discovered that that, that cancer cells feed pretty much exclusively off glucose so if she's worried about cancer, she could try and cut, and now alcohol is a trap because that comes with a lot of sugars usually. She could try and cut some of the sugars and refined carbohydrates out of her diet to the point where it becomes quite a very small part of her diet because if she is fed a lot of uh, glucose or carbohydrates that turn into glucose, that is a risk factor for cancer, but also it'll help with her weight loss too, her fat loss. Yeah. Uh, carbohydrates yeah. also increase cortisol, so we, 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 we want to watch that too. We want to keep the cortisol levels at bay. But, but you know, what you're doing with her and, and, and you know, with, with, with treatments and that, with, with fixing her diet, I, I think you're doing a great job. You're right on track with her. It's like, and, and the fact that she's exercising, which I think is the hard part for someone mm. in their 40s. I mean, it's always difficult to start someone exercising in their 40s. I used to cringe in practice. We'd say, oh, you've got to, you know, go to the gym or do some walking. It's like, oh, look at that time and blah, blah, but, but she's onto it. So I think that's terrific. Yep. Um, yep. Well, yeah. Yeah. In I mean, relation to the cortisol, sorry, Steve, I was right. just thinking in relation to the cortisol, Chris, were you saying she feels that 
she has a pretty balanced lifestyle now as far as like sleep, rest, like just general stresses because yeah. it is it is a little bit um obvious it's it's not the worst I've seen but it mm. definitely could no. be better and like just we had a- yeah, conversation around yeah, I'm just curious that lifestyle factor that might be playing in there. Yeah, I do I do wonder potentially if there is and it'll be interesting to see when her neurotransmitter tests come back, mm. obviously. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like she might feel good from day to day, but is she internalizing stress? Is she naturally still an overthinker? Like she's got that history of anxiety, depression from her twenties. And like as someone who's experienced that, sometimes that doesn't leave us. It's just a constant, you know, job of managing your mental health. Mm. Um, so there's definitely that element to consider. She loves her coffee. Like, you know, my other thing um, that she is open to doing, like obviously we've matcha. changed her. Matcha, fuck off. <laughs> What's wrong with matcha? It tastes like coffee. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't like coffee either. I love it. It's a, like love-hate relationship between Chris and I. Oh, jeez. <laughs> throw it in. Perfect yeah, start to the day there for that person. Matcha. Can you give up your beloved coffee and switch it to green slime? I'm uh, sure she'd love me. What? Um, oh, just one one coffee you could try is, is yerba mate because um, that's good for fat loss as well. Oh, I've, I've actually seen that in some blends with like um, maca and stuff. Yeah. Is that right? It comes mm. as like a blend. Yeah, that's not a bad idea because that's quite nice. Yeah, it is, it is um, nicer than, you know, matcha. Anything's nicer than matcha. <laughs> yes two two against one (laughs) it's really hard steve because there's a lot of pro match of people in this clinic they sneak in with the humans you know no i shouldn't say that Um, she was she was happy to back off to one coffee a day. I had just had a chat about that from a, an adrenal point of view. She mm. doesn't do any intensive exercise, so I didn't. I, we just talked more about the type of training and stuff like that. Um, I changed her supplements over. So exactly what you said before there, Steve. Like we had a chat about quality supplements for what's going on. So instead of just being on some of your standards, we put her onto some more activated Bs, magnesium, a complex. Um, Obviously, good old-fashioned dim for this person with some N-acetylcysteine, so we'll make her up a compound and some, you know, phase two support as well with some, you know, broccoli sprouts and all of that. Um, she is keen, and this is where I think is good as well, because we had a chat about, obviously, the for someone who feels like she's quite well-balanced in all of the work that she's done, is there an underlying gut element going on here that's also potentially causing some stress? So she's open to doing, um, once we do a bit of this work, um, looking at one of the um, new metagenomic tests through Microba, which is cool. Yeah, um, so we can have a look into that space and then just do more work. That's great. Um, I remember a study about 30 years ago where they where they looked at nurses and nurses had a higher proportion of breast cancer. And yes, I've, yep. Yeah, you're aware of that. So it was typically down to the shift work, um, which they mm. then attributed to lower levels of melatonin. And melatonin is a mild aromatase inhibitor. So it's great for men and it's also potently anti-carcinogenic. So I know it's a tricky one in Australia because it's like it used to be a prescription and we used to get it online and, you know, it's like a but, – but that's an option for her uh, as, as an oral hormone replacement to help her sleep and help her relax as well, reduce the estrogen uh, burden and also, you know, reduce the risk of uh, brain and breast cancer, the two Bs they call it. Yeah, that's actually a good one. I didn't even think of the melatonin because the difference between obviously the Humap and the Dutch is the Humap doesn't do melatonin. Mm. 
Mm. So we might even follow up. We're going to do some work for a few months and retest in about four months and check this 8-OHD marker. But I might do a Dutch test because I want to see melatonin. That's actually super important. Um, I wanted to kind of just expand on what you mentioned there before, Steve, too, with the 4-hydroxy estrogen and being contraindicated in women with HRT Mm. purely back to some of the stuff that I was, just for everyone listening, back to some of the stuff I was saying earlier with um, estrogen-driven conditions in the perimenopause years and women having sometimes full hysterectomies to correct heavy, uncontrollable periods and all of that and then being offered HRT as the alternative, mm. which is I get there's a place for HRT. I'm not I'm not scared of it for, for some women, but I also think, you know, I, and I've seen it do some great things for some of my clients in context of other things with other, other work, obviously, but my concern around the hrt space is exactly that if we've got women that are having hysterectomies or partial hysterectomies because of estrogen driven states without understanding their four hydroxy you know metabolism and then they're being offered this hrt there's not a lot of understanding or education in that space for women in their perimenopause years and i think that's a conversation that needs to be opened up to women like yeah keen to hear everyone's thoughts but it's something that's right in my client base at the moment <laughs> yeah i mean have you I'll looked look- into bioidentical hormone replacement therapy yeah no so, sorry some of my clients are on the bioidentical estrogens mm. that's what we found practitioners to do sorry yeah like the difference between the two so yeah yeah it's a good one because you don't want to take i just also think there's such a sorry like a, a lack of um i think we've spoken about this i feel like not on, on a not too recent podcast like there's there's a fundamental lack of understanding and education to start with for women around hormones like even i guess us talking about for hydroxy <laughs> to start with like there'd probably be quite a lot of listeners are like what the hell are you guys talking about you know like there's it, it's it's not it, it's a very um sort of niche area like to us it's really common but the the problem is when it comes to women even understanding their hormones their cycle um what's happening as far as estrogen detoxification what's happening as far as the interplay of like gut health and hormones it's it's just like a lacking gaping area as far as knowledge goes which of course comes back to the point of us trying to do podcasts like this um and and to educate itself but I, yeah, I don't. I don't know where you start with that. You, you know, as far as you're talking about that sort of more medical model and the sort of cascade of of, of how it eventuates so quickly to a hysterectomy as the yeah. answer. It's like where do you, where do you inject into that? Like how do you how do you break that down? How do you, how do you create knowledge in the space that's outside your world? How do you create space um, as far as knowledge for the gynecologist mm. you know like that's where I find it really challenging sort of the same way I might find it challenging with a gastroenterologist and trying to kind of have that language and that understanding of what we're doing versus the way they may be approaching mm. so I don't know like it's I just find it 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 needs it, I would love to think that it will change but I, I feel like um yeah it, it, de- it definitely comes back to education it's like how do you get in there how do you start that conversation mm. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I love the fact that you, uh, you're you looking at the bowels and the bowels contain like in your, you've got trillions of bugs in your gut and uh, there's a large part of them and they're collectively known as the estrobolome. 
Um, and um, the estrobilome is great for metabolizing estrogen out of your body. But if you have the wrong sort of bacteria, it can recirculate it. So people can become estrogen dominant just through their gut microbiome. So regulating that, like you correctly pointed out before, I think it will go a long way here too. Yeah. And like I look at her diet and I'm like, or even her gut, and I think it comes back to why testing can be such a valuable mm-hmm. tool. Like her gut seems really great to me from a symptomatic point of view and just looking at her diet from a fiber point of view it seems great but exactly right like we might do a gut test same as doing this hormone test and it might unpack this whole other world of bullshit you've got a lot of these you know overgrowth of these bacteria that do work against this i call it an estrobilome but yeah <laughs> what do you call estromalone estromalone Okay. Jeff and I are famous in making up words for things. Like I we like just that. decide how we're going to pronounce stuff and then we roll with it. Okay. Astromalone. <laughs> like astronomy. No, no, no. Astrobolone. Astrobolone. Like okay. Astrobolone. Astrobolone. That's better than Easter Bayern. Yeah. It's just renamed it. Okay. All right. So I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm right. I oh, love it. Astrobolone. It sounds like a dessert. Sounds like an ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> would you like some estrobolone with that? Would you, would you like some estrobolone on Maybe the side of that? Maybe an exotic meat, a splicy meat or something. That's what it sounds like. I love it. Yeah. Way better. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard us stumble over bacteria words in podcasts where we oh. literally just make them up. Yeah. Oh, words are, you know, like, you know, it's it's difficult because you see them in papers and you go, how do you pronounce that? And you, you have this thing in your head and you go, oh, yeah, that'll do. And it works, you know. Yep. Um, what, what did we, 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 our, our, our vet called um, B12, cyanocobalamin, and she called it kinobolabalin or something like that. It was like, <laughs> oh, it was, it was right, but it wasn't right, you know. Cyano meaning the colour. Cyano is a colour yeah. and that's why cobalt is a different colour. Um, so, so that's where the word comes from, Greek. But um, yeah, the, the way she worked it, worded it was, was, I went, oh, that's it. I've never heard it called that. And and someone I do podcasts with, um, and she's South African, so English not her first language, but she calls iron, um, iron. And so oh, I heard you guys paying around. Oh, that. It's like that's the best way to pronounce that iron because it looks like iron. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. I love it. It's funny. So good. I still, I was going to say, I still have the clients, like, and I was guilty of this when I first saw the word as well, but quinoa, like how many people are like quinoa or I had, I had another client sounding it out to me the other day. I couldn't work out what the fuck she was trying to say. I'm like, can you please spell it? And she said, I'm like, oh, quinoa. She's like, oh, is that how you say it? I'm like, yeah, mate. I was was talking to a staff member before and she's talking about (laughs) high and she said, it's something to do with the liver and it starts with R. And it makes you go yellow. And I said, oh, the only thing I can think of is Billy Rubin. It starts with it. And she goes, yeah, that's it. And I went, <laughs> <laughs> I swear, that was 30 minutes ago. Uh, and she said, yeah, that's it. It starts with an R, though. And I'm going, no, Billy Rubin starts with a B for Billy. You know? So good. Oh, it's funny. So good. I love it. So good. I love, I love trying to decipher codes. It's interesting. Yeah, oh. I know. I just love trying to decipher anything in the English language. Oh, look, um. you know. <laughs> It's 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 funny because you know there's some horrendous words in medicine that you you just think you know oh come on you know yeah. and it's like who invented that word you know yeah usually they <laughs> they name diseases after themselves um, like we, we did a podcast and I, I brought up Stephen Johnson syndrome and they go 
hey, isn't that a racing driver? And I'm going, oh, my God, that's a disease. And, <laughs> and, and they had, we have a screen in the podcast room. And I, I said, oh, you know, Google a, a picture of it. I said, but warning, it's quite bad. And they go, no, no, no. All right. And they Google it. And say, oh, that's terrible. And it's like, I told you guys it's bad, you know. And, yes, I, I actually met a guy called Stephen Johnson, Dick Johnson's son. Um, he lives on the Gold Coast here, and we did some training with him when I used to run a lot. So when I met Stephen Johnson, I'm thinking, you're named after the disease, mate, you know. It was quite funny. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm going to – I've never heard of it. Should I Google oh, it? Oh, no, now? don't Google it. It's a horrific. <laughs> it's, you, you get some very, very bad skin conditions. About 80% of cases are brought on by med- reactions to medications. Okay. So it's a very right. common one in hospitals, you'll see. There'll be so okay. many people I've got the, this, you'll be Googling it. Oh, don't. 100%. I've got one as well, but I'm actually, it's so bad, I'm not going to say it on, on camera. I'll tell you guys afterwards. No, tell me now. What? No. I, <laughs> I'll tell you guys after, and then if anyone anyone listening to the podcast wants to know, they can. it's something that my sister and her partner called their car, and I didn't know what it was, and they said, Google it. I don't think it's a medical condition. I think it's a grotesque sex term or something oh okay yeah Better not record that that's why i'm not no i'm not going to say what it is on this but that's the one thing i'll hold back from but i'll tell you guys after because i had no idea and honestly i nearly vomited and takes a fair bit to offend me and make me wig out but i was just like you guys are truly fucked up you wow. guys like the fact that you knew this <laughs> oh you know it was all right a, 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 um, a friend of my wife's her name's melina now i know melina is blood in the poo um, ah, that, well, um yeah. that's the medical term for it. I'm going, what's her name? She goes, Melina. And I said, you know what that means? And she goes, no. And I said, it means blood in your poo. She goes, no, it doesn't. I don't Google it. Oh, it does. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I thought as a nurse, you might know that, but she, she just used I to, didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Learning. I'm going to start, I'm going to start calling people Melinas when I really mean shit stain. <laughs> Oh, there's this terrible words, okay. these terrible words. We're off topic. Oh, very much Off so. topic, T. Quick, quick, get back on. <laughs> um, uh, I think anything, the, anything. The only other thing I would say, not it's anything new, but maybe just to sort of summarise, I think what you were saying about the gut testing will be really valuable. But yeah. as you said, if you're – if you do the next sort of three to four months of treatment based on these results, and then I think the value will be in a retest, I think a retest would also give you more um, of an indication too around the importance of looking into the gut because obviously if you're treating purely what you're seeing here and it comes back hunky-dory, everything tick, tick, tick. Awesome. You know, what? Mm. great. But mm. obviously when you retest, if there's some skewed markers and you're like, mm, that doesn't make sense, it'll give you more of that sort of ammunition to go sniffing around the gut. So it'll be quite interesting to see how she responds over the coming months to treatment. Mm. Yeah, we can, do, we can do a follow-up podcast, team. Absolutely. I'm keen. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm keen. I am keen. And to be honest, it's not the first um, eight OHDG marker I've seen come back high. Like I never really had them when I first started using Dutch testing. I think I only had one person who had had, um, she was post breast cancer recovery, um, but had a high risk for ovarian as well. And we weren't working in obviously the prevention space. We were just in the recovery, looking after trying to prevent anything else space. Um, and she's the only person I've ever done a, we did a Dutch test purely just because she was on 
she was on estrogens. No, she wasn't on estrogen suppressing medication. Sorry, her breast cancer wasn't estrogen positive. So we did a Dutch test, but she'd had a breast cancer tumor or something. I can't exactly remember the context. Anyway, she had an eight high 80HDG marker, and that was the first one I'd ever seen, and that was quite a few number of years ago. And I, you don't see a lot of them, to be honest, and no. I do a lot of Dutch testing. So I feel like I'm starting to – I am starting to see them – more than I would like at the moment. Um, and it is a, you know, it is a bit of a red flag. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Anyway. Okay. Oh, interesting. Just interrupting the show for a moment, guys, to tell you about our revamped Real Food Reset Plan. This is one of our most popular plans that you can purchase on our online shop on the website. It's been designed by clinical nutritionists and it provides a two-week rotational seven-day plan that we encourage you to follow for a minimum of four weeks. All of the recipes are delicious. They are macronutrient balanced. And essentially this is about helping you navigate the overwhelming task of getting started with eating whole foods. There's loads of veggies, fiber, whole grains, proteins, omega-3s, all of those big areas that we talk to you about a lot on the podcast and within JCN. So it's really about getting those beautiful nourishing foods into you, supporting your natural detoxification, getting your energy up, supporting digestion, and even that brain and mental clarity. So if you'd like to try The Real Food Reset, we recommend jumping onto the website. It's only $39.95, which we think is pretty crazy, but we love the idea of this as a Kickstarter or a taste of what we do at JCN. Or maybe you're a client who's just like, yeah, I'd love some more recipes or I'd like to play around with a little bit more structure for a while with a plan. This is for you. So again, head to jessicacox.com.au to our online shop and get your copy of the Real Food Reset Plan today. Should we move yeah. on to the second one? Sure. Do we have have time to do the second? Yeah, we can do yeah, it. Yeah, I reckon. Let's do it quickly. Let's do it. Mash on through it. Well, this is this is one of my clients, and as Chris has said, it's more of a, a gut client. And I I picked this client because she's she's super new, and I also knew that there was some test results coming in that I thought would be interesting to again put in context with her presentation. Um, I actually had a follow-up with her today or, no, yesterday, um, which was really interesting. So like like you, Carissa, I've sort of presented these findings as such. So she's a 43-year-old female, no kids, um, and her, her main um, issues coming along was that, one, she actually wanted to understand intolerances that she felt she was having as far as her suspicions around wheat and dairy and she'd had this like chronically itchy skin her whole life Um, however when she had cut out wheat and dairy for a time in her mid-30s she'd seen a real resolution in the itching which was obviously a big red flag Um, she currently had a, or, or has had, obviously already giving ideas of how she's going when I had my follow-up with her. <laughs> she um, had stomach, lots of bloating and brain fog. 
Um, and she, on her own, off her own bat, had started reducing grains and starchy veg um, and had noticed an improvement in symptoms. But interestingly, had noticed when she did that, that her cycle changed from a 25 to 26 day up to a 28 day cycle for the first time in mm. 25 years. Um, and she hadn't needed any Nurofen with that period. So I thought that was really fascinating. Long term, she just wants, likewise, really to have that good quality of health. She has quite high cholesterol. I don't think I've put this on here for you guys, but yeah, I'm going to say it's around. Eight. Did I? Okay, I, think, I did. Yeah, I One think point. I remember it was 7.0. Oh, I think that yeah, was my client. Oh, wrong one. Okay, well, gotcha. It's, it's, it's similar. It's similar. It's up around um, the sevens, um, and it has been for quite some time. Uh, and she does also want to reduce her weight. She's sitting at around seven kilos heavier than she'd like to be. So she has a family history um, of cholesterol. So that's that's obviously something of importance with her history of the, that cholesterol there. And with the gut, she has some family history stuff there too. Her, her brother has loads of gut issues, um, been hospitalized for them, um, and that sort of was another area she was quite conscious of. And she's like, I don't want to end up like my brother. Um, and she's also had uh, her liver enzymes sitting quite high in her test as well. Uh, there's a note there about using steroid creams as well for her skin. Gut history wise. So she has, she told me she was lactose intolerant. She was not a hundred percent sure, but even just recently we talked about it again. She brought it up and said that her mum told her she was really just not good with dairy as a kid. Um, history of constipation since being 20. Uh, did feel that Pilates helped with that. She wasn't quite sure again. It was just also aligning with some dietary changes that she'd made. Uh, and the bloating long long term since her 20s, had a run of UTIs in her 20s. I find this is a, lo a lot with clients. It's that classic leave home, start working, start probably not eating as well, maybe partying, drinking more. It's like the 20s are where everything starts to go more awry. Um, <laughs> so uh, she also vaginally was talking about some issues as far as being dry and uncomfortable. Um, the last six weeks before seeing me, she'd started to cut back again on that wheat and the grains and, and starchy veg. And she definitely was seeing a reduction in those gut symptoms. Um, so bowels were regular now, but as I said, there'd been that history of constipation. Magnesium could help a little bit. Um, she played around with colonics as well. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's probably the main that we need to explain to our listeners nervous system wise she's uh, definitely dealt with fatigue low energy as such um the thing here though was there was some real um I don't think I've got as much in the notes here but there was some really bad um sort of sleep habits so she was kind of oh yeah I have got there she's creeping up to sort of 11 p.m before actually getting into bed being on her phone just not clocking enough hours of sleep. But then also on top of this, there was the brain fog and sort of not feeling motivated. Um, generally good immunity. Um, thyroid had been checked and was fine as far as um, what she knew for me. And the weight gain had been pretty gradual, like it hadn't been like a sudden onset um, felt like Carissa's client more around the midsection that she carries at. But when I asked her, she did feel it was quite fluidy. Uh, and again, her period had been 
have been better since she'd made some changes in her diet on her own. Now, her food, uh, there's a bit more here with her food. So she'd made those initial changes, but in saying that she was still having dairy uh, at least two, three times a week. She's a bit of a cheese lover. Um, aren't we all oh, yeah. um, sort of you know, semi-regular things like pizza coming in there, but then really likes to still eat organic, ordering organic meats, organic veg. So it was a bit of a sort of mix of like definitely aware of eating well, but still consuming things that she already sort of had red flagged herself. But she really was like, well, I just don't know. And I don't want to stop eating them if I don't have to which is another reason I, I chose this client, which I'll get into with the testing. Um, a lot of wine with lockdowns and that, like a lot of people that had uh, continued into um, happening a bit more, weekend desserts. Um, so her food, she, was, she generally was fasting until midday and then around lunch, not really much of an appetite. Um, she might have some some eggs, avo, sauerkraut, non-starchy veg. Sometimes she was buying lunch as well. Actually, she was buying it a lot more than I've written here once I did a full dietary recall. Um, afternoons, having like broths, coconut yogurt, apple with a bit of mixed nuts. But again, once I, when I pressed this more, she was definitely getting more of a sort of sweet craving and ending up sort of snacking on sort of sweets here. Um Dinners, sort of classic meat and meat and veg, um, lots of different types of seafood, chicken. Weekends definitely are way more varied, like going to friends' places, eating out, wine, cheese. So the thing with her food, which I see a lot with clients who are already aware of having some issues, they're trying to sort of help themselves. Their diet can get a bit schizophrenic, you know, where it's like. Um, they're pulling back and they're starting to restrict themselves in areas, but then they'll sort of get to the point of the weekend and then all all's on the table um, and they're kind of eating whatever. And it's it's kind of that sort of not knowing, you know, realistically, why am I eating this? Why aren't I eating that? And it just getting, I, I feel really muddled and confusing. Mm. So, um, yeah, her, also her water, um, I've put here probably around 1 to 1.5 litres, but the more I pressed her on that, it was a little on the lower end. She was taking an iodine supplement because she had been told before she had low iodine levels and magnesium, but that was pretty much it. So that was her main presentation. Now, I've got some test results because the thing with this client was – she was, which we'll get a lot of the clinic, she was really keen on testing and um, the stool test for me was a no-brainer, like that was a, a definite. But what we did, which I don't do a lot with clients, is food intolerance mm. testing. And I mm. wanted to talk mm. about this because there's a lot of controversy around this testing and I, and I said that to her, this is a test that we can use in conjunction with thorough case taking stool test results and then looking at your intolerance results to come back in conjunction with all of that. We need to look at it with how your diet is now, what you're eating now, and then we will look at how we use this information moving forward. And I said to her, like I'll say to a lot of clients with this test, 
this is for me more something that you need as a piece of paper in your hand because I'm telling you honestly (laughs) that you probably need to stop eating gluten and dairy at least now and we'll see how you go as we improve your gut like maybe they might be on the table in the future but if you think you can take what I'm saying and just abide by that and I'll give you all the info that you need and all the support and that's enough then hunky-dory but if you think you need that piece of paper that proof then this is your option but obviously it's a paid option and it's funny I'll say that or a similar framework of that to a lot of clients and nine out of ten they're like yeah Jess that's sure I'll, I'll just do whatever you say mm. and then that one percent is like shit no I need the piece of paper <laughs> like I want the test but and isn't it like that. yeah Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, isn't it annoying though? Like it's not annoying because I have those clients as well. I'm sure, Steve, when you were practicing, you would have got them as well. They can't just go, uh, well, we're telling you it's bad for you, so just don't fucking eat it. Yeah. But but they, but they, then you do the testing and this is where testing has its limitations, which I'm sure this is where you're going with the IgG, IgA testing. Hey, Jess, is that sometimes that testing is not applicable, especially for gluten. Like mm. gluten can yeah. react on so many levels and even celiac antibodies in serum is not still the best gauge because you know as, and that's why I say to people I'm like we can test gluten under the sun in every test and you might get a negative every time but it's shit when you eat it yeah. so just don't eat it <laughs> well there's a great book called <laughs> grain brain which um you know I've read years ago and it talks about how the effects of gluten and grains on your body beyond the immune system because um, what we're testing here is IgG yeah. and, and IgA antibodies, and there's five different classes of antibodies for those who are listening, and these two are associated with, with food allergies, and then you get the IgE, which are associated with allergies. Um, so and the M's are the memory cells. But 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 this this shows, you know, like, yeah, probably dairy and probably eggs. And sort mm. of that's, you know, dairy is, I'm not a fan of dairy anyway. I don't think, you know, we're designed to hunt down and kill a bowl of wheat or, or suck on a cow's udder. So as human beings, it just doesn't sound logical to me that, you know, oh, what's this white stuff? Let's drink it. You know, when someone in the early days that did that, it just doesn't sound right to me. It sounds awful. So I don't think we need it. Um, and grains is like we didn't eat from a plaster plant or a bread tree. So I think you can just, I would agree with you, Jess, you just cut that stuff out, you know, before you... Because when I was practicing, it was years ago, we didn't have too many of these tests around. So mm. I just said, cut it out. Or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like you guys who were, you know, it wasn't my forte practitioner. I'd just tell them and that's what you do. <laughs> and I, I couldn't, it. I didn't want to negotiate away their health. I, I, I you know, and that's why yeah. I was sort of like loved or hated because you, you sort of just said, no, no, you can cut this crap out. You know, I just have pizza <laughs> occasionally. How much is occasionally? How about you have it never? You know, so I wasn't the most... <laughs> You know, the most, you know, I wasn't good to work with in that way. So I just didn't, I, I just wanted to give them the. JCN's hiring a cutthroat practitioner, Steve. You want to come work with us? Oh, we need a bit of that. No, it's just, just I, I, I didn't understand why they were going. I said, do you exercise? Oh, I'm trying to. I said, well, what does that mean? I didn't know what yeah. trying to exercise. You either did something or you didn't. I didn't care which one it was. I just wanted to know straight answers. Or I used to exercise or I'm wanting to or. My wife's trying to get me to, or you know, you know, I should start. It's like either you are or not. It's like you know, do it, you know. And um, so you know, I didn't have the luxury of the test. So I'm with you on this one, Jess. Just tell them, you know. But they wanted the test, well, so the that's thing, fine. The thing was, like with with this client, 
even though we did these tests and she was like happy to pay to have them done, after that initial consultation, I still put her straight. Once the tests were collected, of course, like not before the test collection, but her, her treatment plan said the minute that test collection's done until our next appointment, you're going off gluten and dairy um, and then some other modifications we made to her diet. So that she was happy to do that. Like I was very like explained the why and so forth. But for her, she she felt she just, she needed it. She felt she needed it for her, but she also needed it for her social circles and to have, so that we find sometimes also with clients these days with that sort of confidence, particularly, I don't want to stereotype, but particularly I think women can get really, you know, apologetic about their sort of space and like being out of, say they're out at a restaurant or with friends and like, oh, oh, sorry, I just, is that gluten-free? Is that this? It's like, you know, getting into owning your own confidence and space around food is something that you learn. Mm. And that's a challenge that we find with clients that we're trying to slowly educate them on the right language and getting their confidence there. And she was someone who expressed that. She's like, I just feel like now I can say to my friends or say to my family, like, I I need to avoid this. Like I I have the concrete proof. Mm. Um, so it's a really fascinating discussion. But yeah, you usually most people are keen to just go, yep, yep, all all good. And you know, it was interesting with these results because, as you said, really dairy and, and egg was a surprise. But mm. um, when I re when I saw her, she had improved so significantly already. Um, we had a conversation about that and how these food intolerance tests. Uh, will also be very much triggered by what you're currently eating in your diet. So when we looked at her gut um, and obviously what's going on there, we had a conversation around like, well, considering how well you're feeling, eggs may be something you're being triggered by at the moment, but most likely aren't the biggest part of the picture. So we had, again, a conversation about whether we need to cut them out completely or whether we're just going to back off on them and not have them as much. Whereas if I had have seen her and she still felt like shit, I would have been a lot more strict about the eggs. Mm. And then likewise, we did not only the intolerance test, the food IgG, IgG, we did a gluten sensitivity panel because I, as Carissa said, I like to be more thorough if I want to know what's going on with gluten to do that test. And that I, I said to her, look, there's signs starting to sort of trigger in this gluten sensitivity area. But we've got to remember you went into this test as not someone that eats gluten every day, three times a day. You know, your exposure was actually relatively low, but this is giving us an indication if you continue to do what you're doing, it's probably going to go down this pathway. So that was that was really valuable too. So I just thought she was interesting as far as these types of tests because I know, yeah, they can be controversial. Um but I think they can be valuable in the right circumstances. Mm, that's mm. good. Now, it, it, it's great insight because in my practice, and it's only limited, not, I'm not like you guys, it was limited because I work for companies, a lot of it. But um, I used to see mainly men. Um, yeah, and they'd yeah, come, right. yeah, so I'd be talking about their poos and penises all day. So it wasn't exactly yeah. like, uh, you know, because the guys were like, ooh, you know, and, um, you know, insecure a lot of guys and, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, that they, they were pretty bad with their diets most of the time. And women at least take care of themselves. Guys are shit at that. Yeah. You know, they're just, <laughs> yeah. just terrible. You know, it's like, and because I was you know, with many male naturopaths, it's probably still a male, a female dominant profession, I believe. Yeah. Um, we were yeah. a little bit rare. Um, so, you know, so 
well, I don't know if that was good or bad for me, but you know, it's interesting to hear that that social construct around women and food because with men mm. they don't experience that. They just simply don't care about themselves as much, and which is a shame. I also, um, I also, sorry, Steve, I also think too the difference, Jess and I have talked about this and again because our client base is predominantly women, when we, when we do have guys that come in wanting to improve that they are a lot um, and again generalising, I know I'm generalising when I say this, but if I say to a guy, just can you just do this, no dramas, uh. off they fucking go, they just do it. Um, it's they, so if you just say, I need you to take gluten out of your diet, like I've got a guy, a client at the moment, I'm like, we need to do this, this, and I can just give you some supplements and we can see how we go. We can do some testing. He's like, no, just do the testing. No questions, yeah. no nothing. I just do the testing. And then I'm like, and this is what I want you to do. I'm like, do you need me to explain it? I was like, no, it makes sense to me. Good on you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Initial consult done, 40 minutes. Good on <laughs> you. Yeah. As opposed to like an hour and a half, you know, I'm not saying it's just the difference between guys and girls sometimes too. Like they, you can just say, yeah, it doesn't seem to be as much of the social stresses and all of that. It's just, yeah, it's, interesting. It, it is fascinating the difference between men and women and, and, and how they're treated because, you know, women are better at living than men. They live on average four years longer. They have less cancers. They have you know, they, they, have, they, have, they have more, you know, things like maybe autoimmune diseases because they've got two X chromosomes or they have more migraines or these sort of things. But generally men are sicker, but they take care. They, 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 they don't care about their health as much as women generally. And I think that's a shame. And I think men need to, you know, have a gold hard look, look at themselves really uh, because, you know, our sex is pretty shit when it comes to living, you know really not good i think i think i think so i some of you like a lot of guys are trying now though i think yeah. the demographic is starting to shift i think um yeah i even know like my partner he's giving more fucks than he used to probably could still <laughs> but you know like he's trying harder but i do think there's a lot of um like we i get a lot of husbands of wives that i've treated and they they they're on board i don't know how on board they'd be maybe without the pushing of the wives yeah. sometimes yeah. but but they are definitely receptive, which I like. They're not grumpy about it. So that's that's good. Good. Good on you. No, it's good. Because <laughs> men are a need to see people like you guys more. Um, I'm, I'm glad women are. It's, it's terrific. But men need to be more involved in this profession than they are, I think. Mm -hmm. We yeah. talk a lot in like we talk a lot in our in our family circle and, and close circle about um and I know this is totally going off topic again. I know we're going to get into your gut test, Jess, yes. but just the whole men, men looking after them space and the mental health space and just, again, generally speaking, but the majority of guys in my life are from the trade industry um, and the way even just the, um, the hierarchy structures within those industries, how people are spoken to, the general consensus around food and weight and health has just got so far to go. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I just, I get so frustrated with it sometimes because I'm just like, there's just so, so many levels and layers that need to change yeah. in, so, you know, just in, yeah, in the space with guys. Um, yeah, it's full on. But anyway, that's off topic. Yeah. yeah sorry, Jess. We were talking bowels. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Back to shit. <laughs> just frothing over here to talk about my gut test. All good. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> talk about the gut test. <laughs> Um, okay, so these gut tests came back and what we got in a nutshell was some pretty high levels of dysbiosis. So we did find that this client had some significant 
imbalance of their um, microbes within their gut and their diversity score that's something that we can measure too with this particular test showed it was okay but basically it, it could be better three yeah so essentially that's saying like the overall diversity which we know studies tell us that diversity is a massive marker of gut health so if we've got a poor amount of diversity of species then that can set us up for more um, not only gut issues but associated health issues so i knew straight up looking at that that we had some significant um, underlying issues with her gut and then when we looked further into, and I'm not going to go through for the people listening every single phylum here because that will probably <laughs> do their heads in. But when when I looked um, at this test and over it with with the client, there actually wasn't significant um, commensal imbalances. So by that, I mean the, the bacteria that are sort of commonly growing in her gut. There was some undergrowth of some really... Um, well, they're all important, but particular phylums or groups of bacteria that are associated with producing some um, important compounds called short-chain fatty acids we've talked a lot about on the show before. So the actinobacteria were quite low. Um, and then realistically, though, when we started to get into the nitty-gritty more of parasites, yeast, we found she had blastocystis, which um, we'll probably chat a little bit about that and our thoughts on blasto. Um, she had quite significant yeast, um, which yeast is hard to pick up in a stool test. It's not yeah. always um, a marker that if we find that it's negative that we trust and like, yep, yeast isn't a problem. We we know that it can be a little bit harder to get. So when I see yeast on a stool test, I'm like, okay, we've got some significant yeast issues. Um, and then we had some issues with imbalanced bacteria as well from our microscopy testing Um something called Klebsiella, which we see a lot at the clinic with our clients. Um, so definitely there was some some bacterial imbalances, but for me, I actually felt this test bacteria-wise wasn't too much of an issue. I was more worried about that yeast. Mm. And then also when I looked at her um, additional gut markers, um, I felt I was actually, again, pretty happy with the overall inflammation markers. I felt her secretory IgA, which is more about the immune reaction or response within her gut. It was in range, but we spoke about how that could be a little bit better. Uh, and also her short-chain fatty acids were all in range, but a little skewed in their percentages. I could see that butyrate short-chain fatty acid was a little on the lower side of where we would like it, and that related to some of the lower bacteria so the, the stool test was pretty interesting in that I actually felt like the most important thing that came out of this was um, as far as drivers of the, the gut issues with the bloating um, and the dysregulation there and the brain fog were actually probably more so down to this yeast issue and um, dealing with that. And I was actually quite um, surprised by how well everything else looked in conjunction to probably comparing this to other gut tests that I see a lot of the time. 
And I wasn't too, I was interested to get your thoughts, Steve. We, we talk a lot about blastocystis as far as, you know, is it an issue? Um, I'll often say to clients, you know, this has been looked at and studied as far as being um, potentially considered a commensal. Does it cause issues? And also if we have a more healthier microbiome in general and we work mm. on that, generally it'll kind of ship on out of town anyway. Mm. But yeah, kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that it one. It really depends on the human leukocyte antigen associated with blastocystis. A lot of the gut microbiome yeah, right. yeah, act through sort of human leukocyte antigens. Um, you mentioned, for example, uh, Klebsiella before. Klebsiella, if you react yep. that with, with human leukocyte antigen B27, you will end up with a condition called ankylosing spondylitis. And, um, you know, it's yes. terrible arthritis. And, and the, the interesting thing is you said you get a lot of Klebsiella there, which is interesting. It's only in about 20% of the population. So you must be seeing a lot of very sick gut people. I know we you guys... see a lot of Klebsiella. Yeah, which is... Hate. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's only 20%. So, but, but they're sick. So it really makes people sick, that one. It makes it inflames their bowels, gives them bloating, all sorts of things. It's a really terrible one. Of course, if it gets in your lungs, it's worse because it kills hundreds of thousands of people worldwide every year in your lungs. And that's where it gets its pneumonia from because it was first isolated in the 18th century of causing pneumonia in the 19th century. So it's very antibiotic resistant. So people who take antibiotics, you can't kill it anymore. It's just too resistant. So it's a really interesting one. Um, but, yeah, you're right on with the yeast. And, and I think the diet you're talking about, restricting the, the carbohydrates a bit down and the wheats and that sort of thing will help with the yeast overgrowth too. But really interesting, um, these tests and, and, and what they go for. But the blastocystis, blastocystis hominis is the, the one that's possibly pathogenic, but the other blastocystis species may not be pathogenic. So they didn't say which blastocystis it was. So interesting to see if there was one where you could do like a, a shotgun test which is a specific genetic test but it's a much more expensive one gotcha. yeah i think um the, the the other lab we used to use more unfortunately yeah. we haven't been able to use that um since covid and issues with transportation yeah. um they had started to include an area where they were breaking down the different subtypes. Yeah. It, am I am I right with that, Rissy? Do you, was it? Yeah, was it, yeah. I'm trying not. To I don't know companies, but no. I feel like I remember there being a section where they would actually break it down and talk about the different subtypes. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember mm -hmm. if they were specific with or if the research or technology got there yet. But they definitely were subtyping them. But I don't know if the information went beyond that. Hmm. in sense of being us then being able to go well is it a hominous hominous or is it like you know something you know different type? i don't but i know they had six, six five or six subtypes and then they kind of put it into a from memory i haven't used one of those tests for ages either hmm. but yeah no you're definitely right can i ask you steve yeah. if you know like with klebsiella i'm just interested with what you said then about it being obviously a pneumonia causer and just looking obviously because we see obviously different types of klebsiellas and the pneumonia pneumonia one that's in this test the pneumonia <laughs> being, one yep yeah the pneumonia one so if you see that in a stool test does that have any correlation with like respiratory conditions for people like if it's coming through in a stool is it something that we would consider because i've never i obviously know klebsiella has an affinity for the respiratory tract, but I didn't know which specific Klebsiella's. Obviously, that would make sense being that one, yeah. but do you know more about that? Yeah, case? no, if it's in the bowel, it's it's not as pathogenic as in the lungs, 
but about 20%, it's 20% it's of the population in Australia have this already in their bowels as just part of a commensal there. Now, it does cause reactions. It does in some and does in the other. It's like one man's food is another man's poison, to quote hypocrisy. Um, but, but, you know, it's really not associated with lung diseases. But in hospitals, if you, if you get a test for that for pneumonia, you're in big trouble. They're, they're, the only mm. thing they give you is like an IV vancomycin, um, real strong antibiotic, and that may or may not treat them, but it's very, very dangerous bacteria to get in your lungs. Uh, in your bowels, it's bad. It increases the rate of, of colitis and colon cancer. So there are risks associated with that, as well as autoimmune disease that I talked about. But no, there's, no, there's not so much correlation between if it's in the bowel and it's in the lungs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just first. Yeah, but it's interesting. We do definitely do see it a lot, but then there's that sliding scale mm. um, with those reference ranges that the tests will give you as far as like the green, yellow, red, as far as obviously the um, amount of growth that's there. And I find it's it's also interesting with what you're saying about the resistance because often with a retest, it will be one that I'll see will be harder to shift, but you can you will often knock it. So it might go from being like a four plus in the red, like significant overgrowth mm. and where they're sort of flagging this is, you know, at sort of like acting like sort of a pathogen um, levels versus yeah, we're flagging that this is imbalance, but it may just rectify itself once you deal with other microbiome issues. Yeah. But yeah. um it's yeah, it's, it's really interesting how how frequently it rears its head. Well, I was involved in a recent just a twenty case study trial, and we found four people with it, which is twenty percent, obviously. And we and I won't mention any brand names or product names, but we gave them polyphenols concentrate, and in all four, it was eliminated after about ten days. So ah, you guys told me, yeah, I guess I told you. Yeah, I think I, I heard told you, you talk about, this. about that too. We, we can't mention names, and we won't. But but that's that's that yeah. has been. Yeah, we have published that, so that's interesting information. Are you doing with this client, Jess? Obviously, I know you've seen them, so you've got ideas. Are you doing um, antimicrobial work? Or are you doing more diet and anti-inflammatory work? Or are you doing all so, of it? <laughs> Pretty much all of the above, but there is the antimicrobial work is is very pared back. Um, it's just essentially a bit of um, definitely more antifungal work. I definitely wanted to get her on some form of antifungal, um, but also as always going by the client, like she has already significantly improved to date with the changes that we've made with with diet and just um, one no sorry two supportive supplements so I felt I felt like that as always that sort of dictated how we moved into this but really it was yeah any fungal support but other than that it was about um, some anti-inflammatory support should the one of the supplements I'd put her on um, as far as general gut lining support she felt really really good on and um, had noticed a, a big shift with just that so that was something we wanted to keep up um, and then some sort of specific strains as far as probiotics and I just wanted to start there but then I did talk to her about moving forward um, some specific prebiotics I wanted to slowly start drip feeding in however food was massive here so besides besides the intolerances that we spoke about being a massive driver of all of this, even from the initial, 
it was about manipulating her diet from a treatment point of view to make it very low in foods that would be feed, currently feeding the yeast and Klebsiella. So there was a, a real shift around the type of um, sort of, and I'm going to be blah, a bit more broad with this because I don't want people running off and doing <laughs> doing this, but um, as far as the types of carbohydrates, the types of sugars, how we structured her day for her overall carbohydrate and sugar load and what that would look like. Um, let's just say it would be minimal, um, which was really important. And then the other thing we did, which I love to do with clients, is give them a focus of foods from the point of view of, and Steve um, touched on this really well with that study with the polyphenols, I'll give them a list of certain foods that uh, I want them to include more of as far as like, okay, you had low levels of these bacteria. Here's a list of foods that I'd love you to focus on eating more because they've been shown to feed these bacteria. Mm. Um, and here's some ideas on how to do that. Um, and luckily for her with that actinobacteria, I love with that one, I don't have any issues with saying these ones because they're easy, yummy foods. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, we want more cacao. We want more pomegranate and cranberries so we're like talking about different ways of of using um yeah using these in the current meal ideas that she had so there was a real I really like to focus on obviously there's the things we need them to remove initially but what can they do what the, can they eat more of from that um not only as you said antioxidant anti-inflammatory point of view point of view um but also to kind of feed up any of those sort of deficiency areas so, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of an all rounder. Mm. Nice. Wow, you've, 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 it's great what you what you're doing there. It's, it's huge, and the fact she's improving dramatically is evidence that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, it's a goodie. I'll tell you what the the other thing I didn't mention with her just quickly is we talked about changing sleep hygiene with that um, sort of poor sleep, and she had. A, Good slap on the backs onto her for, or pat, I should say, not a slap <laughs> to doing it because these are the things that yeah. these are the things that you ask clients to do that they sound easy but are really hard. But I spoke to her about the classic: get off your phone at you know a reasonable time. Don't take it into the bedroom. Get into bed at this point. Like, and she, kudos to her, she had done it and it had made a massive difference. Mm. So. Yeah, that that was I was like, good on you because that seems easy, but so many people come back and go, Yeah, nah, Jess didn't do that. <laughs> so true. I feel like some of the lifestyle stuff is some of the hardest stuff. Like, yeah. yeah, exercise if you're not used to it, sleep hygiene, a morning routine, like just saying, just set your alarm early, get up to have a morning routine. That's it. You know, I, I get up at four thirty every morning, Sunday or Monday or Saturday. I don't care. I just get up at the same time every day. But then again, I go to bed early because I'm an old man now. So it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> just after eight. It's like, not oh, that old, Steve. oh, I feel it sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm 54 now. That's freaking old. Oh. I remember when I was like 24 going, 54, you're over the hill, you know, and I kind of am, yeah. I guess, but 54 is old. Seems no, like no, not at all. I go, I go to bed early. What time do you go to bed, Jess? No, oh, it's a bit all over the place at the moment. Usually latest 10 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be in bed if I can, 9, 9.30, but it can yeah. push out. I just, we just got back from overseas, so it's all over the shop at the moment, even though it should only be a couple of hours. But yeah, sometimes it's been a sneaking up there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I'm a bit. I'm probably. I'm about the same as you. I try for like eight thirty, nine o'clock. Nine thirty is my latest on on, on school nights. School nights, I love that. <laughs> so that's the two case studies. Um, Fascinating. I'm not. I, I think. Yeah, I don't know if there was anything else either of you wanted to add to that one. I know it's. I, it's evident that you're doing everything right by by the fact she's getting better. So you know, I think you're right on track with that one. I love the change. I love the I love the sleep hygiene. That's a really important one for for anybody. You know, without sleep, you're you're just in trouble. You know, you're never going to get ahead. Yeah. yeah. So true. So true. Mm. So before we finish up, Steve. Sure. Um, we we this is probably more of a spring it on you that we didn't mention. So Chris and I'll go first. But <laughs> we usually like to end the uh, podcast with a recommendation, and it can be anything. Like it doesn't have to be health related. Uh, and usually, Chris and I are hopeless, and at this point, are panicking in the back of our heads about what we're going to recommend. <laughs> but we, I, I've said to Chris that we're just going to stick with it, and you know, whatever comes to mind. Um, so I'll, I'll go first and then Carissa and then that'll give you time to have a think about it. Okay, good. Um, nah, it's all right. I'll go for it. <laughs> well, also show how mainstream we are. Um, so I'm going to do my usual and default, weirdly, because I haven't been watching any TV the last few weeks because I've been away, but I'm going to default to a TV show called Happy Valley. And the... It's. I heard about it through another podcast on yeah. a, a Mamma Mia podcast because the last season had just dropped and it had been like four or five years since there'd been this last season. And um, Holly Wainwright on Mamma Mia was like raving about it and just like you have to watch it. So we've, we're just in the last season now and it's a British drama, like classic British drama like this. Um, have I recommended this before? I feel like I'm as I'm talking no, about it. It's, 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 new, it's new to me. <laughs> new to me. <laughs> okay. And um, really tough woman in her fifties, but the sort of woman you're like, I I want you as an aunt, or I want you as my grandma. So it's really really tough um, yeah. sort of sergeant, and it's about this relationship between her and this horrible murder murderous male. Um, and just the dynamics that happen there as she's kind of chasing him and just being a cop in a small town in London. Very, very British. Very good. I think it's won a lot of awards and I'm like literally on the edge of my seat watching it. So I just, yeah, it's it's all I'm thinking about outside of work at the moment. I'm like I can't wait till it's finished so I can watch Happy Valley. God, that's great. I've written that down, Happy Valley. <laughs> Is what's yeah. it on? Is it on Stan or Netflix it's on or Prime? Binge. It's on binge. Binge. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I need to do an appery, like a what do you call it? like an appery shuffle because I canned everything, um, including KO for the cricket season, and now I'm just down to Netflix, and I'm just like, but Netflix is shit, so I need to at the moment it's shit anyway, so I need to cancel that and get something else. So that might might go to binge. Hmm. Binge. All right. So that's mine. All right. Happy Valley, guys. How about you, Rissy? I honestly, yeah, on the spot, so I don't know. But I'm going to say something that I've been doing lately that I'm really enjoying that I just think is probably something I haven't engaged with in a while, and that is just um, that finding your little space for creativity, which I've always done on and off over the years, and I love, like, I, you know, I love doing 
arty stuff and creative stuff but I've really like the last probably five years been a bit stagnant with it just moving different houses and not having the space for it but um through a um I want a girl that is like a family friend of ours because she grew up with my sister like we've known each other since primary school we sort of reconnected um we've always been in touch but just you know visiting my sister a couple of months ago maybe two months ago and she um actually runs jewelry making classes like so wire bending and working with crystals and stuff like that and just so learning how to manipulate wire to make jewelry so she holds classes out at red clip or sandgate just out near where you and hubbard had your house that you sold um and so i've been doing that and just so i've got like this little and that i'm finding really fun so you don't have to lash out and do what i'm doing um but just like playing with silver and all that kind of stuff but i'm really enjoying it so my my um thing that i'm recommending is tap into something that engages your creative side the other thing I've I got is is that that is great actually. It's really quite um, yeah. Good get 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 a great hobby going. I love it. Um, yeah, just a hobby, just something different. For me, what what I love doing and and which is totally different to all this stuff is camping. And I know it sounds a bit yes. cliche, but oh, it, it is great to get out to a new location and get someone else to pick where to go because you might pick one you know when it's a campground. No, go a bit wild, you know. Make it make it like you're you're isolated or you know with your partner of course or friends or whatever it doesn't matter but but somewhere where you haven't been before I love that you know on the weekend yep. I went down to Coffs Harbour because someone said we I'm in a full drive club and we went down there and and it's like oh I wouldn't Coffs Harbour it's like mm, suppose why not and it was brilliant so you know those sort of things if you get someone else to cat to to you know decide where to go it's also a really good special thing to do and you you just love it. I just love it. Yeah, I think we're we're mad explorers. We did a thing last year called Twelve in Twelve, where we had to do twelve camping trips in twelve months. Whoa. And yeah, it was it was massive, and we did it. But we went to so many different places. And then recently, recently this weekend, I do a thing once a year where I book a concert out of Brisbane. Yeah. So you have to travel to a new destination. Yep. Like obviously COVID screwed that. Yep. But um, so last year we did Bundy, and we went and saw Ash Grind. Well, just at the Bundy Tavern, but we got to explore. Bundy, yep. Coral Cove and all that. And so just on the weekend we went and did like Boy and Bear, John Butler and Xavier Rudd at um, Harvey Bay. I've never been to Harvey Bay. Wow. Fell in love with it. Yeah. But, yeah, I totally I totally agree with that. Like just go somewhere different, get out in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to yeah, do I it tough. That. You just enjoy life. Just enjoy. Yeah. Yep. Unless you're our receptionist who is <laughs> <laughs> The most anti-camping person ever. Oh, really? Like, why would I leave my creature comforts? <laughs> no, but, but it's, get, it's get away from these things, you know, these silly phone things. You know, yeah. it's like just just good to get away from it. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, in Steph's defense, she had a bad camping experience the first time. She I'm did. determined to change that for her. I keep good saying to her, "I'm going to bring you to one of my campsites." You'll enjoy it. I'll set you up with the fucking Taj Mahal if I have to. I will make you like camping. <laughs> ah, it's great fun. Love it. <laughs> All right, guys. That was fantastic. Yep. And, Steve, thank you so much Loved for it. joining us. Yeah, there's so many, like, pearls that you've dropped along the way that I've just been like, oh, so I think Chris is the same. We're like, yeah, 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 wow, didn't know that or didn't think about it that way, which was the whole point. So could you tell our listeners um, where they could – find you whether it's online obviously yeah where they can find you online not oh <laughs> and, and you can find carissa and, and, <laughs> yeah yeah well no yeah well I'm, you know hang out down the street <laughs> i don't busk anymore so that's it's i don't have to hang out in the street 
Um, well, look, you know, if you want to Google ATP project, we, we do podcasts like you guys um, and Jeff and I, we talk about all sorts of things and we get guests like Carissa on and Jess on and, and we talk about all sorts of weird health-related topics. Like today was mysteries in health science and health and science. So, like, you know, one of the things I talked about was the placebo effect. And, you know, it's like, what is that? It's a mystery. What is, uh, like, I look out the window here, I can see the only thing we can measure in the universe is 95%. There's 95% of the universe made up of dark energy or dark matter, and we have no idea what they are. We know they're there. We can measure them, but we don't know what they are. All these mysteries, and we talk about that, all sorts of weird stuff. You guys talk a lot. I mean, again, a lot about everything as I think we do, but I, I feel like I get a lot from you around the uh, sports science mm. and nutrition as well. Like I, I think that's something for listeners who are wanting more, like I would definitely point them in your direction. Um, I love listening to those episodes that you do and having like a real oh. nerd out yeah, <laughs> around that space. Yeah, sometimes we get nerdy. We say all the big words that we can't pronounce and we just say, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like what was today? Yeah. Excellent. Crazy. Well, no thank worries. you so much. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. And Thanks, yeah, Steve. as Steve said, you can find him on ATP Science or definitely head to their podcast. It's fantastic. It's um, one of our favourite shows. Can't recommend it enough. And thanks to everyone for listening. Totally appreciate it. And we'll chat to you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.